Well, good afternoon. We hope you've had a good afternoon, and even, even if you haven't, nevertheless, here we are. <laughs> That's just a good thing to do. You know, back in August of 2019, it was the last time we did one of these chair series, and for those who are visiting with us and maybe not familiar with this, Jason and I present some lessons from more of a conversational standpoint. Uh, we have worked on some themes we're going to be doing this coming few weeks. I think the next four or five weeks we're going to work on this together. And we've worked on some questions together. I don't know how he's going to answer his questions. He doesn't know how I'm going to answer my questions. But we feel like it's just a wonderful way to kind of look at some topics, topics we think are pertinent and helpful for each of us. Wonderful to have the Kindles with us tonight. They haven't been here in a long, long time, and she walked in, and I said, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to fist bump or elbow? <laughs> she goes, can I have a hug? I said, absolutely. We love the hugs. And so that's so wonderful as we're doing that. And so what we want to look at in this series here as we're talking about, I know the, what the Bible says, but we're looking at some things that clash with culture. We hear things in this room on Sunday but in Monday at work, Monday at school, we hear different things. We see different things. And so preparing our young people to go back to college, back to school, we want to talk about some lessons I think will be very helpful for them as we consider uh, this important topic. This series isn't just for young people. It's for all of us. Uh, we're reminded that Peter tells us that we're strangers and aliens in this world. We're reminded in the book of Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. The Romans were told not to be conformed to this world. We don't fit in here. The world's going a different direction than we're going. The world values things differently than we value them. And so when we're faced with this cultural difference, how are we supposed to respond and how are we supposed to do things? Is that me, guys? Okay. All right. And I need to thank our guys up there in the media and also Greg for doing all this stuff for us, moving things around. It's a lot of work for them, but we really appreciate them doing this. And so let's begin with our topic for tonight. And what we're going to talk about tonight is why can't others be right? Why can't other ways be right? Uh, and I think this first is a concern of middle school students. They, they spend Saturday night with a friend and Sunday morning comes. Well, I want to just go to church with them but they may be practicing and believing things differently. Why isn't that right? Why can't we all be the same? And that, that just generates all kinds of questions, questions even within our families, as our family members worship different ways and some things that we need to look at and consider. So let's just jump into our questions tonight. The first question I want to ask Jason is, this thought sounds as if we are the only ones who are right. It sounds arrogant self-righteous and closed-minded is that the way it is that's a big question i uh, i spent a little bit of time on the road yesterday between here in indianapolis and i was thinking about that question yesterday afternoon as i was driving i had one daughter beside me and two in the back seat and i looked up in the rearview mirror and i was trying to talk and they can tell you the three of them I didn't even know how to put into words what I was seeing. And I had two teenagers in the back, and so they did what teenagers do. They pulled out a cell phone and took a picture. We were on I-65, 
And there was this bright red car behind me and a teenage boy sitting on the door with more than half of his body sticking out of the car. Now, it's important for you to know we were not in standstill traffic. We were moving at 70 miles per hour. And I, it was just one of those moments that I didn't know what to do. All I need, knew was I can't hit the brakes, I can't swerve, I can't do anything to make this teenage driver behind me do something jerky. And in just a moment, if the wrong thing happened, that young man would not have stood a chance. And as eventually they pulled off on an exit and, and we kept going down I-65, I, I returned to this question. And I thought, well, isn't that just, you never know where you're going to find in, uh, illustrations. And, and there was a great one. Wouldn't you agree with me that I can be in my car, I can be obeying the law, I can be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and recognize that someone behind me, that's not a good idea. I mean, that is foolish. That is dangerous. Now, I think we all need to realize, I can be obeying the law and I can recognize that that's dangerous and I can still be arrogant about it. I can still be self-righteous about it, I can be closed-minded about it. But wouldn't you agree, let, let's all begin right here, that we can be on the right side as defined by the one who matters. And, and we'll get to that in a moment. And it is not closed-minded or arrogant or self-righteous to see someone doing something they ought not to be doing and say, whoa, danger ahead. And I think that's so important, especially for our young people, to realize and really think critically about this evening because we have people young and old who are growing up breathing the air of, you can see something like this physically, you can see something like this spiritually, and just mind your own business. Who am I to say that's, that's foolish? Or even worse, um, I can't judge him. Yeah. I mean, he may, he may be driving on the wrong side of the road, but it's yeah. wrong to judge somebody. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so there's bedrock, and we'll, we'll start building on that. But I would suggest to you from the word go, it is not arrogant or self-righteous or close-minded to try and get people to think about where they're heading and dangers along the way. More about that to come. So I was driving one time down the road. A pickup passed me. He had the tailgate down. His dog was sitting on the tailgate. <laughs> I never prayed for a dog before. But I prayed for a dog. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a new hood ornament. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's begin to practically build on this. So what is the danger with, you brought up the middle schooler Saturday night, Sunday morning. 
What's the big deal there? Going somewhere else to church, how can I get them to come and visit with me if I'm unwilling to visit with them? And, and that's a fair question, because it, it seems equal. If, if I want them to come here, then I need to be willing to go there. And that, that just seems fair. But we're not car shopping. We're not saying everything is equal, just which one do you like better? We're not saying that. We're saying that God has a pattern, God has a way, and that's what we have to follow. If we do not think we're right, we better do some serious changing. And we're trying to follow this New Testament pattern according to God's word. So let, let's grab a couple of verses real quickly. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, the apostle says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's first and foremost. Our attitude is not, what do I like? What feels good to me? Uh, we're, we're in a time where the flavor of the month is feelings. Uh, feelings come before faith. I like this, I don't like this. Our thought must be, does it please the Lord? That is first and foremost as we think about these things. And then over in the book of Colossians in chapter 3, and we'll probably come back to this verse in just a moment here. But in Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 17, the apostle says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The expression, in the name of the Lord Jesus, means by the authority of God. Uh, if tonight, 2 in the morning, for some obscene reason, I came to your house and knocked on the door, and you shouted, who is it? And I said, what's well, Roger, come out. He'd say, go away. <laughs> but at 2 in the morning, someone's knocking on your door, and you shout out, who is it? And they say, in the name of the law, come out. There's some authority there, isn't there? I can drive behind your car, and nothing happens. An another one drives behind your car, and he's got a little red and blue light, and they're flashing. You're going to pull over. Why? Because he has some authority. And so one of the things we learn early in our Bible, we learn in, in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis about the story of Cain and Abel, that not every worship is pleasing to God. There's two boys, and they both worship God, but one was acceptable, one was not. And that reminds us that not everything we throw up in religion, God approves of. So when we think about this question about going to someone else's church, I need to make sure it's following the word of God. Our interest is in pleasing the Lord first and foremost. And, and that's what we need to see. We'll talk even more about what, 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 what's our goal on, let's say, a Sunday. Our goal on the Lord's Day is to honor the Lord. Absolutely. So, next question. Next question is, behind this lies the subject of truth and authority. What does the Bible teach about these subjects? Of course, those are big subjects. And in August, our building blocks are going to be on the subject of authority. So there's going to be lots of things said about authority. But that's really the basis of this question. And that is, who determines what's right? Who determines whether we can worship this way or that way? Or does it even matter? Let's go back in our Bibles to Matthew 28. <clears throat> Anytime questions of authority ought to come or do come up, this is a great place to go because what we're listening to are the words of the resurrected Son of God. The one who has lived for us, given himself for us, conquered death. 
He holds the keys of all that matters. And listen to him in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, okay, uh, issues of where am I going to go to church? Well, what is the goal? Is the goal to learn the will of my Creator and practice the will of my Creator? I mean, that ought to be the goal of everyone. We come up with a different goal. I mean, the sky's the limit as to what we can do, what we can offer. Only problem is we've stepped away from acknowledging the will of our Creator. You go back and you read Romans chapter 1. And that is the first step of a terribly slippery slope. As Paul eventually reaches, well, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He maps out, beginning in Romans chapter 1, that when we fail to honor God and acknowledge Him as God, nothing good happens next. If you're still there in Matthew, let's go back just a few pages to Matthew chapter 11. This is something we touched on just briefly in our building blocks classes today. Jesus at times offended people. And I think it's really important for us to see that in the 21st century. In Matthew chapter 11, we don't have the time to read all of the verses, but he is answering a question sent to him by John the Baptist who is in prison. And so he tells the disciples, you go and you tell John what you have seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And I want you to notice especially verse 6 of Matthew 11. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus challenged people. Jesus expected people to stop and to turn around and to follow him. Jesus challenged Every aspect of people's lives. And I would suggest to you this evening, if His authority does not challenge you, you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus who, as we learned about in those building blocks classes, if you weren't a part of it, you can watch it on our, our website. John 1 paints this beautiful picture that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And both of those matter. We live in a culture that says, well, you need to choose whether or not you want to be a truth guy or a grace guy. A truth girl or a grace girl. And the truth people over here, you know, they can kind of be legalistic and hard and mean sometimes. And they're always telling people what they're doing wrong. Or you can be a grace person over here. And, you know, those are the nice people, the pleasant people to be. And I think that's, that's what Jesus was like. Well, there's a reason Jesus, who has all authority, said 
blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There's a reason that he was willing to say in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And sometimes people heard things like that and they turned around and they walked away. But Jesus unashamedly challenged people because, and I'll I've done a lot of talking. I'll turn it over to you in just a moment. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, a life. Jesus was born into a world where there were many gods and goddesses in the minds of people. And had he just come along and presented himself as one more choice, one more flavor of the month, he probably wouldn't have been crucified. But he also wouldn't have been Full of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. We've got to decide whether or not we're willing to follow him, that Jesus. Let's put it simply. If we were to say, how, how long do you think this table is right here? We could pass out a piece of paper. Somebody may say 18 inches, 24 inches, 35 inches. We get all kinds of answers. Then we put a tape measure up here. It tells exactly how it is. We put that tape measure up there. Somebody says, you know what? I don't agree with that. You know, in my heart, this is three feet. Although I know it's not three feet. But in my <laughs> heart, I think it's three feet. The tape measure is the authority. The tape measure is the answer. So when we look at life, the Bible is the answer. I may feel, I may think, I may think, you know what? I, I just know this is okay. The tape measure determines it. And that's what Bible authority is all about. All right, so let's take it a step further. If we lose that, if, if that foundation begins to be eroded, what other concerns just begin to, to open up all around us? Well, what happens is you start having people determining what's right. And that's why when you study religious history, it's fascinating to see how churches back in the 1800s were strong about this. But in our culture today, they're doing just the opposite. You go back in the 1800s, very few mainline denominations would ever have a woman in the pulpit. Never. Today, everybody does. Way long ago, most of them would not have used instrumental music. Today, they have rock bands. And, and you see, what's happened is they've changed as they followed culture. Today... Homosexuals are allowed to be practicing homosexuals in congregations. What we see today is the transgender is now trickling into the mainline churches. And so what, what happens is once you start saying that, you know, this is a way but not the way, all kinds of doors open up. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And, and once you open that door, it's hard to shut it. It's hard, it's hard for somebody to say, you know what, I know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but I think it's okay. I know what the Bible says about transgender, but I think it's okay. I know what the Bible says about divorce, but I think it's okay. What are you going to do about the Muslim religion? What are you going to do about Hindu religion? What are you going to do about atheism? You see, once you start opening that door for other ideas, you can never shut that door again. Paul would say in Philippians 4, verse 9, the things you have learned, received, and heard 
and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Going back to that biblical pattern, going back to that tape measure from God, this is what Paul preached. This is what was to be followed. And so there is a huge danger of saying, you know what, this is just a little thing. I don't see anything wrong with it. Next generation comes along, there's a step farther from that. Then another generation comes. And down here, you're so far away from what you started, it doesn't even look close at all. There's real danger because what you do is you walk away from God. And we get to the idea that we determine what's right and not God. And so, another question. We do not claim to be perfect. We say that often in this pulpit. This is not a perfect church. If you're visiting with us and you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. The reason is because I'm here. I'm not perfect. I'll be first to admit that, okay? We are not a perfect church. We are humans. We make mistakes. We sin. We follow the perfect Savior. But since we are not perfect, what's the difference then in others who are not perfect? Yeah. Let's go back in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. I think there's a, a really important principle mentioned a couple of times in Galatians 2 that if we can see it with the Spirit's help here, then we know how to approach that question. In Galatians chapter 2, the author, Paul, used to be Saul of Tarsus, far from perfect. He will be the first one to tell you. He often tells you in his writings, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the four most he knows he is in desperate need of grace here he is writing a letter to the churches of galatia and two different times he highlights the truth of the gospel first of all you begin reading with me in verse 1 galatians 2 verse 1 then after 14 years i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas taking titus along with me i went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential the gospel that i proclaim among the gentiles in order to make sure i was not running or had not run in vain but even titus who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, notice verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. On this front... Paul says, no, no compromise. We are not going to bind something on Jew or Gentile that God has not bound in order for them to be saved. He, he says, we're drawing a line here. We will not cross. And if someone decides to cross, we're going to clearly strongly, boldly say that is wrong. Now the question is, why? Was Paul just being arrogant and self-righteous and closed-minded? No, it was much bigger than Paul. Read the rest of verse 5 with me. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment 
so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. A few verses down, in verse 11, Paul says, But when Cephas, we call him Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter is acting hypocritically. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now I want you to notice with me verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was Paul perfect, not at all. So is Paul just being self-righteous, arrogant, closed-minded? It's bigger than that. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He calls Peter on it. Calls him out for acting hypocritically. And that is exactly what you were talking about earlier. When someone looks at this and let's say it's a matter not of life and death, but of heaven and hell and my soul's <laughs> salvation. And they're saying, no, 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 no. This is 20 feet long. <laughs> it is not arrogant or self-righteous or hypocritical. For me, who has mis mismeasured things at times, to say, let's get out the standard. And if this is not in step with the truth of the gospel, if you remember one thing, one phrase that I, I use this evening, I would encourage you to, to remember that one. What is in step with the truth of the gospel? Not a perfect person in here, but that's what makes the gospel good news. And when we share that with people who need it, we are not exalting ourselves as someone who is perfect, telling imperfect people what they need to do. We're imperfect people telling imperfect people the perfect news of Jesus Christ. Psalms 19 says the Word of God is perfect. It's the Word of God that's perfect, not us. We are trying to live up to that standard, but it's the Word that's perfect. And so again, it's not... It's not going down and shopping cars and kicking tires and what deal will you give me here? What, what will this church do for me? We're talking about what congregation follows the word of God. That's what this is about. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's go back maybe to that middle schooler or high schooler who, who maybe feels like, well, what I see around me, maybe I have visited and, and, and talked, I've seen videos on YouTube, whatever it is, I see the worship of other people that just seems so much more exciting than what we do. And, and I think I would like that more, so why can't we be more like them? That's a great question. Let's turn the Bible to the book of Exodus, Exodus 32. i got two Old Testament passages I want to look at. But, but what that does is it, it, it puts, again, feelings above faith. And throughout my life, I have attended a lot of different places, not giving up my worship on Sunday, but I've been, to I've been to this rally, I've been to this mass, I've been to this place, that place. I've seen it. And some of them are very exciting. Some of them are driven like a pep rally. 
And if you remember high school pep rally, you know, you've come out of math class and you're just kind of laying on the floor and you're just bored to death and dull. And you walk in that gymnasium, the band is playing, the cheerleaders are jumping, there's all kinds of things going on. And all of a sudden your heart starts beating and you think, wow, I'm pumped up. If you've ever been to Indianapolis Colts as they start the game or the IU basketball, it's a great beginning as they begin that game. The team comes on the floor, the lights show. What does that do? It gets everybody fired up. That's what a lot of churches are doing. They're firing you up, but there's no substance. So, two examples. Exodus 32. We start with verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. They want a visible God. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. People tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took from his hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, made it to a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation saying, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to pray. They're having a party. Man, you know, do I have to go to church? Not here, man. This is awesome. Worshiping the wrong God, worshiping the wrong way. That's what I want you to see. Just because it's exciting, just because it makes my heart move, doesn't mean it follows the will of God. Now, the other Old Testament example comes from the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12. This is about old Jeroboam. You remember when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took over. And instead of lowering the taxes, he raised the taxes. And the people got fed up and the kingdom split. Israel and Judah. Ten tribes of the north, that was Israel. Two tribes of the south, that was Judah. The ten tribes of the north were following Jeroboam. And as we begin in verse 25, I want you to read what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, went out from there and built Penel. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. That's because the Jews had to go back to Jerusalem so many times for feast days. He says if this nation goes back there, they're going to see, they're going to hear the law, they're going to see the priests, the sacrifices. They'll go back to the ancient ways. And so he says in verse 27, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to the Lord, even to Rehoboam the king. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. One he set in Bethel, the other set in Dan. And I went to Dan. And archaeologists have found his temple. And we walked in the temple of Jeroboam. I took a rock from there to my office. <laughs> What's interesting, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel's in the window praying, Daniel is looking toward Jerusalem. We know from all the synagogues that's been found throughout the Bible lands, the synagogues always face Jerusalem. When we went to this temple in Dan, it's facing the opposite way of Jerusalem. We've turned our backs on Jerusalem. We've turned our backs on God. Read on what's this. 
Now this thing became a sin for the people, verse 30. People went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made houses on high places. He made priests from among all the people who were not sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of that month, like the feast which was in Judah. Then he says in verse 33, Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart, instituted a feast for the sons of Israel. Wrong cities, wrong God, wrong priest, wrong day of the month, wrong authority. He devised in his heart. What happens after this? We realize that there's 20 different kings in Israel. Not one of them is faithful to God. Eventually, the Syrians will destroy this nation because of their ungodliness. So, what is the danger when, when I say, well, I like what they're doing. If they're following the word of God, that's great. No problem. But if it's a carnival, if it's not following the will of God, it's a danger. And it can pull my heart away from the Lord. It's just striking how many live by the motto in 2021, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Now, the opposite of that is it does not mean we have to be dry, dull, and lifeless. I do not believe in that. I believe worship ought to be passionate. It ought to do something to us. But we've got to stay within the perimeters of what God says about worshiping him. So, next question. Do things like instrumental music matter to God? Just go back in our Bibles to Ephesians 5. I would return to the goal. We, we've got to determine what is our goal. Is the goal, like Jeroboam, to build a following for myself? Well, if that's the goal, I mean, you see how he gave it a shot. We see how people all around us in the religious world today give it a shot. It is the goal to craft things that will cater to exactly what people love to be a part of as modern citizens of the United States of America in 2021. Well, that's the goal of a lot of people. And I mean, there are a lot of religious organizations that are really good at catering to that goal. You read that Jeroboam took counsel and built two golden calves. Well, there's, there's all sorts of counsel in the forms of all sorts of best-selling books and blogs and podcasts and YouTube channels that, that will tell you exactly how to start and energize and build a church in the 21st century. And you won't hear much about God's story. Tell me the old, the old, story. old, old story. That's right. God, authority, the New Testament church. Here's what I know, and here's what you can know. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, who gets to define that? No one greater than our Creator who we can devote the rest of our lives to reading his word and will never outgrow it because we've somehow advanced in wisdom beyond him. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do I really believe that? Now, if I really believe that 
the days are evil, and the fount of wisdom is available. Well, that leads me to verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is a Lord, and I am not him. He has expressed his will. Now, whether or not I choose to put in the work to understand it or not is up to me. But here's the calling, right? Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You remember earlier when we talked about Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we are expected to follow in his footsteps. Here it is described as being filled with the Spirit. And what's next in verse 19? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I know that is breathed out by God. I know that is written to Christians. I know under the guidance of the apostles, this is what they did. I also know that all around us, just like you know, there are people who add to that. Well, what's the goal? Is the goal to figure out how to draw a crowd in 2021? Is the goal to cater to modern tastes of young and old in in 2021 Western culture? Well, if that's the goal, man, I mean, you can do some really cool stuff in 2021 musically. But if the goal is to acknowledge God as God, To honor him as God. If the goal is to gather together and worship him, wouldn't it make sense that if he's the object of our worship, we would do it in the way that he wants? I mean, Shelley never does this. But let's say, I mean, for our uh, next wedding anniversary, she says, I would really like, I don't know, a, a set of earrings, let's say. And come May 22nd of next year, I pull in the nicest riding lawnmower she has ever seen. You better get on it and ride it. I better get on it and ride it fast. Doesn't it make sense if I am celebrating her and our covenant that I would listen to what she has asked for? Why can't we see that? When it comes to the Lord of the universe, who has told us what to do. And and when you look at this specific topic, nine times in the New Testament, God tells us to sing. We remember in high school, there's a difference between band class and choir class. You went to choir class with a trumpet, they'd laugh at you. You go to band class, where's your instrument? God said, sing. He didn't say make music. And a lot of folks will say today, well, that's just, that's not a salvation issue. Well, then that means there's certain places in our Bible it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. I believe everything in the Bible is there on purpose, and it does matter. If God said it, we need to do it. It's connected to reverence for Christ <clears throat> and understanding the will of God. Absolutely. All right. We could go on and on, but last question. So, I still want my friends to be friends. And so, what can I tell my friends along these lines and still be friendly with them? Right. There's, there's no need to be argumentative. There's no need to be ugly. No need to, you know, be condemning. We're in the heaven business, not the hell business. But what we want to do is follow the Bible. We want to sit down and play a game. We got to go by the rules. What are the rules? We want to do anything. We got to go by the rules. Jason's illustration right there. You know, I've got a birthday coming up in August. If you all want to give me a present, don't give me a crock pot. I don't want a crock pot. You know, I don't know what to do with a crock pot. Okay, that, that would do, that that back, would do nothing for me. Okay, nothing for me. And so here, here's the God of heaven, and He doesn't just say worship me. He doesn't just say use your imagination. He doesn't say be original. No, he gives us guidelines, specific guidelines. This is what I want. So when I'm talking to my friend, it's a matter of just what are the rules? Who can run a church? How does the church raise money? Who can be a member? How does one become a Christian? Multitude of questions. But it's coming down to this idea of what does God want? My kids are always coming up with new games. They always find the new games. And, hey, I got this new game. You want to play it? The first thing they have to go by is, here's how you play the game. Here are the rules. That's what we're talking about here. So when you talk to your friends, let's just, let's just see what the rules are about worship. Let's see what the rules are about marriage. Let's see what the rules are about all these things. And that's the answer to how we look at these things. If you'll open your Bible with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Chapter 3. As Roger mentioned from the top, we will be adding to this in a variety of different ways. But here's what we hope you take away from this evening. We want you to understand this is the Word of God. So I want to begin right there and ask you if if you believe that, do you believe this is from God? Maybe you've got questions about that. And if you do, wonderful. I and Roger and our shepherds and others in this room love when people are willing to ask hard questions. This book has nothing to fear from hard, honest rigorous investigation maybe you're not sure whether or not this is the word of God and if you're not let's talk ask those questions in fact don't even leave here this evening without asking those questions and we'll sit down right here and right now and help you understand how you can know this is the word of God but if you believe that it is all right what next in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, or verse 12, I should say. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We heard earlier, Jesus at times was 
offensive to people. Full of grace and truth. Not arrogant. Not self-righteous. Not hypocritical. But Jesus said things at times people did not want to hear. Why did he do that? He describes himself as the great physician. Sometimes physicians cut. Sometimes physicians administer really strong medicine that, that tears us down, makes us sick, makes us feel just rotten for a little while. But they do it in order to heal us. Some people weren't interested. Some people turned their backs if that's the Jesus that uh, he is intent on being, I'm not interested in following. And nowhere in Scripture does the New Testament ever give us the idea, well, we should expect something different. If we choose to build our lives on this same rock, there will be people who don't understand, there will be people who laugh, there will be people who mock, there will be people who lash out. Are you okay with that? If it means being heaven bound and shining as a light in the world. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Do you believe these are sacred writings? Do you believe that they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe, verse 16, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. You think back to that example of that teenager car surfing yesterday at 70 miles per hour. That was foolish. That was dangerous. And he's not arrogant or self-righteous or hypocritical to say so. But we can also know what is right and what is wrong. What is wise and what is foolish. What is evil and what is good. We know what God has said about how to be saved from our sins. We know what God has said about worship. We know what God has said about living as a disciple of Jesus. Maybe this evening right here, right now, you're willing to be different. You're willing to step away from culture. You're willing to acknowledge Jesus is not just a way, a truth, a life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And you're ready to submit your life to him. You're ready to follow him. You want to walk in the light. You're looking at scripture that corrects you and trains you and teaches you how to live. And you're ready to be baptized in his name. 
for the forgiveness of your sins. If you believe this is the word of God and you haven't done that, why not do that right now? If you are a disciple of Jesus, but you haven't been walking in the light, and you could use some prayer, you could use some encouragement. You believe this is the word of God? Why not do what it's telling you to do right here and right now? Let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing to encourage you.